Hey everyone, you're listening to the Respiritualize podcast, a fresh take on life's biggest questions. I'm Jainatai, here today with my co-host Lokaram. Last week we discussed the nature of war and its relevance to our own process of self-examination in spiritual life. We saw how war stems from selfish desires. As human beings, we have desires that are selfish in which we exploit the natural resources of this world and our fellow men and women. In today's episode, we dive deeper into what it really looks like to combat the false ego. Take, for example, Arjuna. Arjuna heard the Bhagavad Gita from Krishna at the onset of an epic battle. This took place in India thousands of years ago. Arjuna faced an army led by his own relatives, friends, and teachers. He realized that in order to carry out his duty as a warrior, he would need to fight and kill some of the people he loved most. The thought of victory at the cost of their blood disgusted him. He feared the weight of karmic reaction and the guilt on his own conscience. Though a warrior from birth and one of the bravest and most feared fighters on the planet, he was quivering in his chariot and his bow was slipping from his hands. In the face of this terrifying duty, he turned to his dear friend Krishna for guidance. Was he really meant to fight and kill his own family and friends? Was that truly his duty? Or should he throw down his weapons and allow himself to be killed unarmed? The true challenge Arjuna faced was not the opposing army, but this internal struggle within himself. So in life, I recall for myself and, and other people, we go through this spiritual crisis where we realize how implicated we are in the suffering of society. When we see our own unwholesome desires and the consequences of our actions, which we're suffering from and others may be suffering from, we're looking for some spiritual practice. And because we're afflicted by those things of the false ego, these desires that we know are actually not wholesome, we tend towards self-abnegation as a spiritual process, that my goal is to get relief from this false ego that I and those around me are a victim of. So this tendency to withdraw from the false ego leaves us in a vacuum that if I'm not all these things, then who am I really? And we experience this crisis of selfhood. Yeah. I want to interject really quick. I, I have a friend, actually. He uh, started exploring Buddhism. He grew up a Christian. But once he got into college, he was exploring different traditions. And he heard that in Buddhism, they teach existence is suffering. This is the first of the four noble truths that the Buddha taught. Existence is suffering. And that really hit home for him. He was suffering. 
So he decided to stop eating because he knew that eating was simply maintaining and perpetuating his own existence. Thankfully, he didn't get very far with this practice. <laughs> you know, he, he realized it wasn't going to uh, be like a shortcut to enlightenment. But he heard this gem of, of wisdom and he thought, what do I do? How do I move forward with that? And, and so I think that's a, a nice example of the kind of reaction we, we get sometimes internally. We think, you know, I can't do this. I can't, I can't keep living like this. So how do I live? How am I supposed to live with this knowledge? Mm. Yeah. And then another, another thing that people may turn to is, I may be suffering, but there's also some enjoyment there. So uh, maybe I can take shelter of some, some arrangement of enjoyment where I'm, I'm at least maybe mildly implicated or safely implicated. Like reducing my but, karmic footprint, you could say. Right, right. You know, I'll drive an electric vehicle or bike to work or Recycle. instead of not eating, I'll just eat carrots or... <laughs> Yeah. Or fruit that's fallen naturally from a tree. Right. Freegan. They call them freegans. Yes. I had some good friends um, that are freegans. It's, it's, it's good. It's a nice lifestyle. But it, it yeah. doesn't fully uh, do the trick. It, yeah. doesn't, it doesn't quite get you free from some uh, karmic reaction, unfortunately. Mm. And also, Krishna says that to Arjuna, that even if you leave the battlefield, your mind will still be disturbed. Mm. So why is it that? Why is it even if we did manage to be in a cave where we could isolate ourselves from being involved with the activities that we know we don't want to be implicated in, why is it that we would still be disturbed in such a condition? Why is that not enough? Yeah. So you've heard of heat-seeking missiles. It's like an innovation yes, yeah. in the military from a while ago. I don't think they're that, uh, you know, they've got even fancier missiles now. But uh, once upon a time, they invented these heat-seeking missiles, and it was a very impressive thing because the missiles would change course based on heat-sensing heat technology. Mm. So the, the soul is by nature... In Sanskrit, the word is atma. The atma, mm. the soul, is by nature pleasure-seeking. Mm. We can't help but be drawn to pleasurable experience. The Vedas say, raso vaisaha, that built into our very nature is to seek rasa, or pleasurable experience. Mm. We have to do it. No matter where we try to hide, our mind will crave for pleasure. So mm. you can't find enlightenment through self-abnegation alone. You can't just deny the false self. You need to replace it with the real self, who you really are as a spiritual and eternal person. Mm then you'll find fulfillment. So if I'm not going to take part in those things which I 
am familiar with deriving enjoyment and pleasure and a sense of identity from, um, what is there for me to turn to, to have some affirmation of a spiritual identity? If not those things that I'm familiar with. Yeah. The, the first teaching Krishna imparts to Arjuna in the Bhagavad Gita is specifically on this question, who am I? What am I? And Krishna, he kind of mocks Arjuna because Arjuna, he knew the answer to that question. But in the heat of the moment, he allowed his emotions to overwhelm his mind and his intelligence. And he forgot. We often find that happens when we're really angry or really um, aroused. <laughs> we do things that we, we might regret later on. And we know better, but we find that our emotions just override our mind and our intelligence. So a, a yogi is supposed to be better than that, that they actually have the self-control, the discipline, the mental discipline to avoid falling into that trap of, uh, of the, the mind, these powerful emotions. But that's what happened to Arjuna. He forgot all of his spiritual wisdom just went right out the door. Mm. So Krishna had to remind him, who are you? Who are you? You're a spirit soul. This physical body that you inhabit is like a vehicle. It's just like a vehicle that you're riding around in. It's constantly changing. It's growing. And then you reach a certain age and it starts to dwindle and decay. And finally, you get evicted. That's called death. Hmm. And then the body uh, goes back to the earth. And the soul moves on to its next next uh, destination, its next body, where it does it, uh, a whole new journey, a whole new adventure in, in a new life. So the basic principle of yoga and spiritual activity is that my actions and my desires are aligned with my actual identity as a spiritual being. Whatever activity I'm engaging in is guided by that knowledge and is meant to further me along that spiritual path. It's not so that I can enjoy this, this vehicle. One of our spiritual mm. teachers, Srila Prabhupada, gives the analogy of a bird in a cage. That's, you know, when, I was, when I was a high schooler, I had a friend who, he had a bird at home and he had a big cage and he had to feed the bird. The bird sang some songs. It, it was cute. It was nice. I don't think the bird was, you know, super happy because birds like to fly around. But anyway, mm. Prabhupada gives this analogy that if you clean the bird cage, polish it nicely, make it sparkle and shine, but neglect the bird within and the bird starves and dies, it's ridiculous. It's absolutely mm. ridiculous. Mm. But that's exactly what our modern society does. We polish the physical body. We put on makeup, deodorant, cologne, fresh clothes. We do our hair. We pay so much attention to the body, but we absolutely neglect the soul. So if I'm a soul and I'm occupying the body and as a soul, um, I'm a pleasure seeking being, 
Um, but because I identify with the body, um, I'm conditioned to utilize whatever body I'm occupying for bodily enjoyment. Yeah. Yeah. So that's like polishing my cage. Yeah, exactly. And if yeah. I just refrain from polishing the cage, the soul is still there, but it's still being neglected unless I'm basically polishing the soul. Like, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, connecting to the bird in the cage. Yeah. You need to nourish the soul. Like my friend, you can't be spiritual just by stopping eating. Actually, there's a disease for that. It's called anorexia. It's a disease. People, people mm. suffer from that, but it doesn't make them spiritual. It doesn't make them enlightened. It just makes them hungry. <laughs> it's a problem. Mm. So you need to have some positive spiritual activity that is actually mm. feeding the soul, nourishing the soul, giving spiritual pleasure. That's required. If we don't get pleasure from our spiritual activity, then we're going to seek pleasure from all of the wrong places, all of the temporary sources of pleasure. That's just so much stimulation, distraction. Hmm. So in essence, what is the nature of that spiritual activity that's satisfying to the soul? Well, the Vedas call it yoga. And there's a whole spectrum of yoga practices. And in the Bhagavad Gita, Krishna specifically highlights one type of yoga as being the best of all of them. And that yoga is called bhakti. The reason it's the best is because it's the most aligned with the innate nature of the soul, which is not just to seek pleasure, but to seek relationship. Mm. We all have the experience. And even Arjuna in the Bhagavad Gita points this out. He says, Krishna, how can I fight this battle to win a kingdom at the cost of the lives of my relatives and my friends just so that I can have a big palace, a big kingdom with no one to enjoy, no one to share it with? Mm. What's the use? Better to die than to live alone and rich. So the real pleasure that the soul is seeking is not just a type of euphoria. You know, we can take a drug and experience some temporary euphoria. Mm. But what we're, really, what we're really looking for is relationship, a loving exchange with another person. That's the most fulfilling, pleasurable experience you can have. Mm. And so bhakti yoga is based on this principle of relationship that I'm giving pleasure to the Supreme person, Krishna. And when Krishna receives that from me, when I act in that spiritual relationship, my spiritual connection to Krishna, then in my heart, my very self, my soul, I feel a fulfillment, a pleasure, that completely transcends any other experience. Hmm. So that's the so, essence of that's the essence of the the spiritual activities is connecting with Krishna through bhakti, devotion, service. 
So in that case, what is it about the nature of Krishna that's able to give so much fulfillment and satisfaction to the soul that I'm unable to get from the other ways I'm familiar, like other relationships, because I have I have loving relationships with my parents, with my friends, my pets. Uh, what is it about the nature of Krishna that's satisfying that those are not? Well, first of all, the name Krishna in Sanskrit, it gives us a hint. His name actually means the all attractive. He's the supremely beautiful, the supremely intelligent, and influential person. He's the origin of everything. So when we try to find meaning and fulfillment in our relationship with anyone else, we'll run up against a limit that that person won't have as much time for us as we would like them to have. Or that person won't understand our heart in the, the deepest way that we wish they could. Or maybe that person prematurely dies. And like a friend of mine, a good friend of mine, within the past two years, he'd been married for five or six years, and he and his wife were planning to have children start a family, but then they found out she had stage four cancer and within months she was gone. So thankfully for him, he had his practice of yoga that he wasn't totally derailed by that. He, he, he understood that this life is temporary. The relationships in this life are temporary. Lifetime after lifetime, we have to start all over. It's like moving to a new city. And starting from scratch, you don't have any friends. You don't know mm. where the best places to shop. You got to figure it all out. It's a pain. Mm. You mm. feel lonely. You feel confused. You wonder, why am I here? So lifetime after lifetime, the living entity is in a position where they have to develop all these relationships and try to find, is this person going to love me like I hope they can? Is this person going to be my friend? What about this person? This person stabbed me in the back. So many years of friendship, and then they, they, they stabbed me in the back. They betrayed me. Hmm. But Krishna never does that because he's all loving. He's all perfect, and he's eternal. He's the supreme being that we have an eternal relationship with. Hmm. Um, so if I can understand that Krishna is able to reciprocate fully with the love I'd like to offer, how can I also have the confidence that I'm capable of loving Krishna when well, I myself feel um, incapable of truly loving? The nice thing is that bhakti is directly born from the innate potential of the soul. Just like um, uh, a flammable substance has the potential to catch fire and burn. We can imagine a little, uh, you know, a little piece of wood that doesn't have very much self-esteem thinking, oh, I'm so cold and dry. 
I'm, I'm good for nothing. Mm. But if you throw that into a fire, it'll catch light. It'll burn. Mm. Just like every, all the other pieces of wood. Now, a, pe a piece of wood isn't a very good analogy for the soul because the soul is animate, conscious, thinking, feeling, desiring. But in all analogies, there's some gap. You have to kind of use your imagination to make up the difference. So bear with me. Mm. You know. Yeah. The soul has the innate potential to love Krishna. Bhakti is the potential of the soul. Everyone can do it. Every living entity, every soul, every atma, that is not only the potential, but it's the highest fulfillment. Like I was saying, the soul is pleasure-seeking. Actually, what that really means is the soul is Krishna-seeking. Because pleasure doesn't mm. exist in any real sense outside of our relationship with Krishna. Mm. And that's the secret of the Bhagavad Gita is that everyone is trying to find fulfillment, but it's right in front of our face. Actually, Krishna is present in our own hearts as the super soul. And all we have to do is just turn to him and accept, I'm a dependent. I'm very small. I need help. I need someone to love and someone to love me. I don't want to be alone for eternity. And I don't want to die and just, just disappear into oblivion either. If I, if I want to experience that relationship beyond... Like I can theoretically accept it, but if I want to like directly experience that, what's the most effective way for me to engage in that relationship with Krishna where I can experience these things that he's talking about in Bhagavad Gita? That is the practice of bhakti yoga. And bhakti is a diverse practice. It's highly individual. There's a lot of different types of activities. If you look at the history of the bhakti movement in India and now globally, you'll mm. find all kinds of people from all kinds of backgrounds finding their niche in their community. This is the way I want to serve Krishna. These are my strengths that I want to bring to the relationship. Mm. Still, among all of them, there's one common theme, one common practice, mm. and that is the name. We have this mantra meditation where we, every morning, spend two hours just chanting this one mantra, Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Hare. These sounds are directly spiritual because they're the names of the Supreme. When you love someone, when you hear their name, you feel something in your heart. Just the sound of their name makes you smile. When I was a student, the girls that would sit next to me, they would write in their notebook, you know, they'd write, let's say they had a crush on my friend Phil, they'd write, and his last name was Titcomb. It's kind of a funny mm -hmm. last name, but so they'd write, you know, their name, Rachel Hitcomb, you know, in all different kinds of cursive letters, because they'd imagine what it would be like to have his name 
and be his wife. And every time they'd hear the name Phil, it would like melt something inside of them. Mm. You know, Mm. that's the power of sound. That's the power of a name. And Mm. these are just material names, material sounds. But Mm. these mantras in the Vedas, they're given specifically to facilitate our practice of yoga and reform our consciousness, uplift our consciousness so we can have a direct experience of Krishna beyond the mind. It's a direct consciousness to consciousness contact through the power of this transcendental sound. Mm. So this mantra meditation, we are encouraging, urging everyone to just try it out. Make it a part of your life. Try chanting this Hare Krishna mantra and see what happens. Just see Mm. what happens. You don't have to take our word for it. What's your Um, experience of chanting, Johnny Tsai? Tell me. Well, recently I had a very profound experience. Uh, We were in, there's a temple in Farmington Hills. Yeah. And um, a devotee named Ram Roy Prabhu was traveling. He was visiting us and we were doing kirtan. So we were chanting Hare Krishna and we were also playing musical instruments like harmonium, redunga and kartals. The temple was quite filled. Everyone was very happy to be chanting and It was a profound experience because in time I've felt peace from chanting Hare Krishna. Like as a meditation, I feel some relief from uh, the material energy and some solace in that eternal nature of that relationship. But what was unique about that particular night is when I was hearing Ram Roy Prabhu chant and seeing Hare Krishna, I actually experienced Krishna in his name that his name and him were non-different. Wow. And when I heard Krishna's name, I was feeling the presence of Krishna more than I'd ever have before. Wow. So it was, it was such a profound experience because typically it's like an experience of calling out to Krishna. Like, yeah. Krishna, by virtue of your name, I'm connecting to you. But that particular night, Krishna was present in his name, in wow. my consciousness, not just course he always is but i experienced it and it was it was cathartic (laughs) that's how i am different people experience in different ways but for me it was deeply cathartic it was i was like yes like (laughs) so i'll never forget that it's very it's made me more enthusiastic for my personal chanting and also for kirtan nice yeah this is actually possible to experience not just on a rare occasion, but advanced bhakti yogis, they have that experience of Krishna in their chanting of this mantra, this Hare Krishna mantra, all the time. One sage, Narada, in the Bhagavatam, one of the the main wisdom literatures of India, he was explaining to his disciple Vyas that having attained spiritual perfection in bhakti yoga, whenever he chants the name Krishna, Krishna personally appears in his heart and he can feel him there. As real as I'm seeing you right across from me now. So this is the real promise and the the scientific nature of bhakti yoga is that 
you will experience the results directly for yourself in your life. It's not a question of belief. Real spirituality isn't about what you believe, what you think, the doctrines that you live your life by. Real spirituality is what you experience. And it's more real, it's more real than anything you've experienced so far in your life up till now. Mm. That brings me to one question that's been on my mind is when I chant Hare Krishna, it's not always such a sweet, although Krishna is so sweet and loving, chanting his names, I don't always experience his name in that way. Sometimes it's, I experience difficulties and negative emotions and, and challenges in my chanting. Uh, how can I understand um, those experiences knowing that Krishna is so attractive and so sweet? Um, how can I understand why I may ex have um, experienced negative emotions or, or, or inner turmoil while chanting the name? In the beginning of our practice, we often find that spirituality seems very uncomfortable. It's more natural to just distract my mind with the latest TV show or you know, throw in a frozen pizza or go find some girl to make out with or a boy to make out with. These things seem a lot more entertaining than sitting down and meditating. Mm. But Krishna says that there's different types of happiness, different qualities of happiness. One type of happiness is pleasurable for a short while, and then very quickly it transforms and becomes painful, miserable. Mm. So this is the essence of material happiness is that after some time, our material life reveals itself for what it really is. It's, a, it's an illusion. It's a lie. It's a trap. It just meant to suck us in and just steal everything that we have. Like we were saying, it's all about maintaining and nourishing the body. It does nothing for the soul. All material pleasure, it gives some temporary pleasure to the body and mind, but it does nothing for the soul, the self. That's who we really are. So Krishna explains there's another type of happiness. Mm. And that type of happiness is what the yogis are seeking which is a little bitter in the beginning. But over time, as you acquire a taste for it, and it's no longer foreign, it becomes the greatest pleasure. I mean, look at my kids. I've got two kids. Neither of them are particularly in love with vegetables. They don't like to eat their vegetables. Vegetables aren't very good. Hopefully, by the time they're adults, they'll appreciate that vegetables can taste very good. Yeah. But in the beginning, it takes some discipline. You have to just eat them because somebody tells you to, that it's good for you, that it's going to help you. Like my son, he wants to be big. He's two and a half years old. He says, I'm a big boy. Mm -hmm. You know, that's what he, he wants to be big. So we just have to tell him, if you eat your vegetables, you'll become big. You'll be big and strong. So as he gets older, he'll realize I want to be healthy and things taste good because they're healthy for me. Mm. 
you know so if we can just understand intellectually that this chanting this meditation is good for me it's healthy for my emotional self my mental self and for my spirit my actual self then we'll be able to get through the challenging initial phases and then as our practice matures as we gain some experience we become an experienced meditator an experienced chanter then we'll start to really taste what it's there in this mantra like you you were just describing that it's actually krishna in the form of sound we're having a direct experience with the absolute truth through the medium of sound krishna is the all attractive the name rama means the reservoir of all pleasure there is no greater pleasure in the world than krishna and the experience of connecting with krishna through bhakti yoga there's no greater experience in the world every pleasure we can experience is like a tiny tiny atomic fraction of the pleasure contained within the person krishna so this is the promise of our practice that we'll actually experience as we mature but it takes some time so yeah we just have to be patient and committed and stick to the practice and we'll see results it actually doesn't take so long but you have to be committed you have to stick to it and make the experiment for yourself Respiritualize is a weekly podcast with new episodes every Monday at 7 p.m. Eastern. We also host free courses on the science of bhakti yoga and ancient wisdom texts such as the Bhagavad Gita and Srimad Bhagavatam. For more information and to register for a course, visit www.respiritualize.com. If you have questions or comments from today's episode, or if you want to suggest a new topic for us to discuss on Respiritualize, please write to us at respiritualize at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. Hare Krishna.